Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. Good morning, River City Church. Good morning. It's so good to see everybody here this morning. I think it's been the coldest it's been since January, um, but we thank the Lord for nature. We thank him for seasons. I'm saying this out of faith because <laughs> I like it to be warm. So I woke up this morning like, Lord, I just thank you. This is part of your plan. <laughs> Um, but I am very glad to see everybody here. If you're a first-time visitor, welcome here at River City. We want you to feel like you have a place at the table. Um, we focus on spiritual formation, community transformation, creating space, and living in love. And we hope you have the opportunity to experience each one of those elements today. Um, part of what we do here to connect to the global church, um, because we are all the bride of Christ, is read a psalm from the lectionary. This Sunday psalm is from Psalms 91, um, and it starts at verse 9 and says the following. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge? No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Um, when I was praying through this this week, it was encouraging to read about angels. I think in our current world, that is something that um, the worldview wants us to neglect because it's just another element of God's holiness. So I was really thankful to be reminded that angels have a task. They are numerous and they are here for us um, as we bow our heads in prayer. 
God, thank you for this Sunday in which we can gather together. We know that there are sisters and brothers in Christ who are gathered in secret around your word, who are still being persecuted today. We pray for their safety. We pray, God, that we are humble and thankful that we can connect with each other. We pray that we appreciate what community means on a Sunday morning. We pray that we show each other love and kindness, Father God, that we embrace whatever each individual testimony is on today's Sunday. We pray for those who feel lost and confused and hurt, Father God. We pray for those who are experiencing church hurt. We pray for that, that their hearts are healed. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is here with us, Lord, comforting us, loving us. We pray for those who are missing family members as the holiday seasons approaches, Father God. May our day be interrupted as we think about those who are grieving, God. We pray that we start now not waiting to November or December when people are trying to arrange their holiday plans. We pray that we think about and include those people now, Father God. We thank you for River City. We pray for Josh as he brings the message today. We thank you for Sarah. We thank you for Bill, our administrative pastor. We also thank you for Jordan, our associate pastor. Thank you for all leadership and those who are serving. In Jesus' name we pray. So if you guys will stay standing, we're going to pray together. We become present to the God who is already present to us. And that means we can come boldly to the throne of grace, right? Saying, Abba, Father. If we don't have words, then we have groans. Because the Spirit intercedes for us and knows our weaknesses. So Spirit, will you lead us in prayer this morning? We lift up the church, the body of Christ, all its members and its leaders. And we pray for unity above all. We pray for unity and passion and a purity of the gospel to move forward. We pray for strength for pastors and leaders. We pray for the churches who are hiding and the churches who gather above ground. Holy Spirit, will you move in your church today? As churches all over the world are gathering for worship, will you move? In Jesus' name, do you guys believe he'll move? Yes and amen. We pray for our nation and all those in authority that they would lead with justice and with mercy. Will you make our leaders wise? Will you make them faithful? We pray for the welfare of the world. If you guys will just call out some of the things happening around our world that we need to intercede for this morning. We pray for the concerns of this local body. God, with all of us in this room, there are those of us who are just broken and hopeless. There are those of us that have needs. We represent family members who have needs. So this morning, asking guys to be brave, will you speak out your need this morning as a way to live in love and practice bearing each other's burdens? And then finally, we pray for those who suffer, 
across this world who have broken hearts and broken bodies, broken spirits. God, will you come and be father? Will you be healer? Will you be lover? Will you find the orphan and the widow and the alien, the misfit? And will you show us how to be that to the world? Empower us today as we turn our eyes towards you, that that would motivate us to turn our eyes towards the other, to our fellow sister and brother, that we might serve them with the love of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so jumping back into 1 Peter. We've been in this for a while. We've only got this message and one more message, and we're done with 1 Peter, okay? It's a short book, but... I've loved it. I've been challenged by it, and I knew the book, but I've, I didn't feel like I knew how much these people were going through as we read through these scriptures. I didn't realize the weight, and the weight is heavy for this community. And again, it's 60 AD. It's about 30 years after Jesus leaves, and the community is taking the gospel to the area that they're taking it to, and they're seeing a lot of success. They're seeing people added to the church, which is meeting in houses, and they're seeing a ton of persecution because, as I told you before, Nero used Christianity as a scapegoat. And so he started to basically kill Christians and real killing, not just uh, like real persecution, stronger than any we've seen to date, I think. And he would clothe Christians in the skins of dead animals and set other animals upon them. He would burn Christians at the stake to light events. And this was a part of their daily routine as Christians. When they woke up in the morning and said, God, give us today our daily bread. When they prayed this prayer, it was different. It was a different kind of prayer because they weren't promised tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow either, but their every day was, in, in view of their day was, I might die this day. This might be my last. So every opportunity they had to be with, to love well, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ was happening. They were fervent with it and seeing awesome results. And they were persecuted, but they also had a sense of the Spirit's power with them that I don't know that we can understand yet. I don't know without that kind of scrutiny, persecution, and pain if it's possible. Maybe it is. I just know if I look at my own life, the hardest times in my life, the presence of God was closest. I don't choose that for any of you, and I don't desire that, but I do know that in those moments, you receive from God differently than you do when you're on a mountaintop, right? Mountaintops are great. Like the breezes, right? Listening to our iPods. Do they still have those? No? I don't know. Enjoying the things. It's like the conference thing. Like going to a Christian conference, you're like, oh, this is everything I ever need. And leaving it and almost feeling like a little empty. And then going through a six-month season where something incredibly painful has happened, all of a sudden you've developed this connection with your father that you've never had before, right? There's something about suffering that produces in us something that cannot happen otherwise. That's just the pain and truth of the joy of the gospel and the sadness of the gospel. We fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. And so in this passage, a couple things are happening. This passage particularly for me was, is still tough. I'm not going to pretend like I've got my complete brain around it or my heart around it. It is troubling to me. I cannot seem to sink my teeth or fingers into it and go, this is what this is about. And I think it's because of this. This community, these people and this stuff 
is not something we can relate to. As much as I read through this and understood what was happening, it'd be like taking my son's baseball team and all of a sudden starting to teach them basketball and then being like, you guys really don't get this, do you? Like, it's a whole different sport than what we have. And, and here's what I mean by that. As Christians where we live, and I talked about this with Brad before. Brad was in here. Even our struggling at its peak, right, is like, it's like the Jewish community struggling in Egypt with luxury everywhere. Like our, I was talking to another pastor this week. And I was very honest with him that when we talk about our struggles, it's not like, brother, you might die today. It's like, I hope we have enough money for our church, right? Like, I hope there are these like first world things that, that we can't even fathom, like for the name of Jesus being killed today, right? That's not even something. And so when, I'm, when I read this passage and I struggled through it, I don't use that as an excuse to not try and dive into it. I think you should wrestle with the passage. You should wrestle deeply, and you should wrestle with the Spirit of God in it. But I think, I think the rub in me is that we live in a society that more than any other society, possibly in the world except for this one, craves comfort, receives comfort, and has access to it. Even in the, the worst situations we have, right, we have access to things that other societies dreamed of having, like multiple bathrooms in our houses, right? Like there's some places you said, you got two bathrooms in your house? We can have food whenever we want it if we have the money to get it. We can go anywhere around here, right? We have, how many shirts do we have? Like, just think about that. How many shirts are in your closet just for you? Like, back in the old days, they had two. Like, you had one, then you one was dirty. You know, you wore, like, my dad knows what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> then you washed that one, you washed it, and then you were good to go. Like, I have 400 shirts, and they're not based on, like, the weather. It's based on how cool I can look, right? Like, the, and I look cool, right? Like, no, I know I don't. I've lost it. It's okay. But think about where we're at, right? Our, our struggles are different. We're, we're upset about our jobs. Like, I don't enjoy this job that's paying for my house, so I'm going to be mad the rest of my life. When somebody in another country is like, you have a what? It's called a what? I would love to have one of those to be able to feed my family. That would be amazing. We're like, no, this isn't good enough for me. This is, this is our norm, And we all understand it, and it's in me, it's in you, it's just a part of us. So when we read passages like these in 1 Peter of Christians dying for their faith, they're not talking about their homes. They're not on a certain, they're not on a, uh, what's it called that I can get on sometimes? Soapbox. About a certain variety of Christianity. They're just taking the gospel of Jesus to people selflessly. Take my home? Fine. Take our lives? Fine. We will die for this. So that's my rub with this passage, particularly out of all of them, is that I can't truly understand this. I have to very much so rely on the Holy Spirit to speak to me. A couple of things about it. Gentiles in this community are new. So these people that are being saved, a lot of them are Gentiles. They don't understand historic Jewish persecution. They're new to this. And this is tricky for them for this passage because they already were on we're, we're kind of in contention with the Jewish community. And now they're brought into the family of God and you have Jewish people and Gentile people. And now, even within their own community, there's like, am I good enough to be here? Is, am I allowed to be here? These people used to say that it would be better for me to be dead than to be alive. And now I'm sitting around a table with them. And so these passages that we're reading are speaking into some of that stuff. 
So I want to read you 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. You guys can follow along in your Bibles. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, and I, I don't know many people, and I'm just going to praise break it here. Like Facebook fights is not being insulted for your Christianity. That's, that's, that's our best version. Like somebody made fun of uh, a Christian singer, somebody... Or whatever. That's that's not persecution. Just for us to know up front, like that's not persecution, right? That you wore a Christian T-shirt and someone's like, "That's goofy." It's it's probably because it was just goofy. Like honestly, like that's not persecution. That's not that's not what this is talking about, right? So if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Just real quick, those three first things and then that last thing. I'd rather be that last thing than the first three things. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let the got quieter, I'm quiet near. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for your Scripture. That again is like John the Baptist pointing to the Messiah. Help us to not be worshippers of Scripture, but understand its role. That it's pointing to a Messiah who is Jesus, who is the Word. And its fullness is lived out in Jesus. So let Jesus inform our whole reading of the text. Let Jesus be at the center every time we pick up the Bible, especially today, especially right now. Help us to see what it is we need to learn about Jesus through this. In your name we pray. Amen. Don't be surprised. So this is a tricky part for me because if bad things started happening to you because of your faith, you would be surprised. So it's a little bit like one of those, what's, what's he really saying here? If you dig deeper and if you go to next week's passage, and you can pull this up, 1 Peter 5.8. This is, this is something I've quoted so many times. In youth ministry, it's like a go-to. Like if you say this, people are like, I'm, I'm ready to run to the altar. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, who's heard this before? Prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And like I used to talk to youth like if, if we shut the doors and we let a lion loose in here who was hungry, right? Like, what would happen in this room? Like, the slow people would be eaten. The athletic and stronger people would rise to the top. We'd form our own new society. It'd be beautiful. You just got to be the fastest, right? Because the lion is going to eat, correct? So spiritually speaking, when you step out for Christ, receive him as your savior, this part of it is not something we're very familiar with. This is not something we talk about a lot. This is very real, that we are an enemy that's worth being attacked by the enemy of our creator, means that he literally, in the spiritual atmosphere, is seeking to devour us. 
But we know that his native language is lies. We know that he is the accuser of the brethren. So it's not like we think, right? It's not with the devil with the red pitchfork, like chasing you around, like I'm going to get you, Jonathan. It's not that. He's, he's, much more cre- not, he's much more interesting in the way that he attacks us. He knows us, right? Our Father knows us more. So we have to be aware and sober-minded at this stuff. But not only that, right? As a Christian, it's literally like we're joining an army. Before you think I'm telling you that you need to go fight people, that's not what I'm saying. We're joining, joining a spiritual army, and we have a mission. And because of that as well, we become viable targets to our enemy. And so just the basic fact that you are a Christian, even here, means that you are being attacked. So when fiery trials comes upon you, don't be ashamed or afraid like, like you didn't know this was coming. So interesting for us. Anytime any of us struggle for more than a day, we wonder if God is with us. And here's the reason why. If you take everything you've ever been taught, at least from the, my history, and it's like a sponge. It's all the stuff Josh has ever been taught. You squeeze it out. Most of that concentrate would be things like, you're going to get what you want if you say yes to Jesus. Whatever you like, you get. Your blessing is coming. And these are truths in a way, right? But if every time you suffer or struggle, your faith is questioning whether God exists, then you need to relook at what you've been taught. We have spoon-fed people stuff that is not sustainable. That's why people don't want Christ. It's not, and it's not that we tell you, here's all the rules and make sure you follow them. That's not, that's not saying it like it is. But a passion and a zeal for Jesus and God looks like someone who is so selfless that for the sake of others, they would put themselves on a cross and die. That kind of zeal, that kind of passion, we don't even get that. We've been preached so much. And what what would be the best way to gather a community in a very wealthy society, right? What would be the best way? Speak to that. Speak to you're going to get more. All these things you've been dreaming about, all these financial things you've been dreaming about, all these goals you want to go after, all these things that will make you great, right? Go after those things. What would be the best way to gather people? That would be the best way. When you gather people around the heart of Jesus Christ, People are left like, is, does he, do they know what they're saying? And Jesus had 12, and they left him. Gathering around the idea of not being about you is not attractive. So when we talk about what we bring to the table, passages like these, it's hard for us to understand them because we've been told so much. All you got to do is ask for it, and you get what you want. No, if it's in accordance with his will, you get what you want. Because his will for you isn't that you be the richest person in the world or that you be greater than every person in this room. His will is that you would share in the sufferings of Christ, that you would be holy as he is holy. That's his will. And if you can do that, you can penetrate a society, a family, a job, any of it, and people will take notice of it. And people might persecute you for it. Goodness is persecuted. Now, here is the tricky part. What does holiness look like in a society? This is where we've gotten it wrong. Again, it's easier to gather a group of people around what we don't like. If we can list these six things, if we know we don't like this, we don't like this, and and historically, and I say this all the time, I mean, it was like drinking, you're not going to drink, you're not going to dance, you know, and dancing was always like more interesting to me. Like, why is that, is dancing that bad? Like, Footloose is a good movie, guys. Like, 
that whole movie's built on like weirdness because they're like dancing. It's like, ooh, look at those guys dancing. Like, it's just dancing. It's not, but, but Christians, like, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that. We have this idea that that's holiness. Holiness as being what we keep ourselves from. Holiness is an aggressive thing. Holiness looks like aggressive bravery for the love of a community of people that don't deserve it. Holiness is Christ. Christ didn't walk around. Just think about it. Like, if you ever want to know if your idea of holiness is right or wrong, does your idea of holiness look more like a Pharisee or more like Jesus? Examine it. If your idea of holiness looks like the Pharisees that Jesus was saying, you guys are heaping rules upon people, overburdening them, then you have got the wrong idea of holiness. Don't beat yourself up. We all do, right? It's an easier way to detract people. We can say, if you stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this, you can be a part of our club. We'll make a big thing. We'll grow the church. It'll be great. It's easier to do that than to say, holiness is about being aggressive with the gospel. Holiness is about loving selflessly. Holiness is about putting yourself at risk for others, right? Holiness isn't about putting yourself at risk for your name to be great, though. It's not about getting yourself out there. It's about putting yourself on a cross. Holiness looks like Christ. Does your idea of holiness and the drives you have make you want to look like Christ or like a Pharisee? And I just know that for all, for, at least for me, I feel holier when I've decided to keep myself from something that others are doing. And I'm like, those Christians are not doing it right. They are not holy. I'm holy, right? You know what I'm talking about? Let's gather a life group together, holy life group, right? Like, no. Holiness is different. Holiness is Jesus. So don't be surprised. This is what you signed up for. And I'll just say this. I love that it starts this passage with the word beloved. And if you know anything about our church, we really hammer in that the idea of being part of the body of Christ, the first thing that you have to know is you are beloved. You are loved deeply before you accomplish anything for the kingdom. Before any of it, he wants you to know that you are my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. And it has nothing to do what you did for him. It has to do with what Jesus did. That is the initial starting point. So when he talks about this passage, beloved, don't be freaking out when fiery trials come. Beloved is the first word. When you struggle with understanding that you are the beloved, when a fiery trial comes, it becomes the reason why you're not the beloved. That is me all week long. This is not supposed to be happening. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be blessed. I'm supposed to be blessed and highly favored. I'm the head and not the tail. Somebody else is the tail, but I'm the head for sure. So if I am that, then why in the something and something am I struggling like this? Why are people saying things about me? I had a guy once in youth ministry post a 10-minute video about my preaching on Romans 12, which I was super pumped about. Like I was like, this is probably one of my best messages. He did a retort. Like I became a guy online that a guy did a thing about and he was like, this guy was way off. He was like calling me out. My youth were like watching the video and posted. And I was like, man, maybe next time let's just talk in person. Let's do that. Why not try that first? And then maybe post a video. Let's try that talking in person first. But when that happens, it becomes the reason you're not beloved. But if you know that you're beloved, it doesn't matter what comes. If you know that you are the beloved of God and that he chose you, he is blessing you, he will break you and he will send you or give you, if you know that, then whether you're up or down, if you're swimming through a river, climbing over a mountain, you are God's chosen. So you can enter that not with like, because when, when that's tested, when your identity of who you are is tested, that's when it gets ugly. That's when fights start to happen. Because there are people reaffirm, situations reaffirm, our deepest, darkest fears about what we are. 
And if we are what we think, if it is really I'm not chosen and I'm not worth it, then I might as well start fighting because it's just me anyway. So you say something to me about my preaching, I'm going to be like, you stupid idiot. I studied that for like, I went to seminary, right? You don't even know what you're talking about, bro. I'm smart. I can preach. I know what I'm doing. I probably said like wrong things too. But if I know that I'm the chosen of God when a thing comes, it just becomes a reason to draw near. Like, God, I, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for these people to do this. What's happening here? Like, what? Why would this happen? That's a whole different conversation. Well, son, I'm trying to pur- purify you. There are things within you I want to bring to the surface, and they're not coming any other way. This is the problem with a gospel that is only on mountaintops. It gives no space for true growth. There can be spiritual encounters, and those should be sought after, but you cannot run from the opposite. These are moments in our lives where the best things are given. It's why Jesus went to the desert to clarify how to hear the voice of his father and clarify how to hear the voice of the enemy and say, no. It took a desert to teach him how to hear. What is the desert or the suffering teaching you? Don't run from it. When I get in a suffering situation, and I'm so off script, when I get in a suffering situation, I check out quickly. I check out quickly and go to the next thing that's not as painful. I usually throw accusations at whatever's coming at me so I can build my case so people, yeah, like you shouldn't be walking through that, Josh, like for sure. That's bad. That's, that's not God's will, right? So I transition and I always seem to find myself in another spot with the same kind of thing and my identity is so attacked in those spots, so attacked, so painful. Am I beloved? Why would your beloved have to go through this? I don't know. Why would my son have to die on a cross for you? I don't, I don't know. Why would, why would I send my, my disciples into cities where they would eventually die? Like, because something about that will draw people unto the Father, right? Because what we're looking for won't be found here. So if our, if our whole kind of thesis of Christianity is getting all that we can get before we leave here, you already know, like we know that. That's not going to, it's really not going to do anything for you. But what if what's best comes beyond that? In it, but beyond it. What if we live for something larger? What if we point people to something larger? Way off. Anyway, they're fiery trials, literal fiery. When they talk about don't be surprised at a fiery trial, it means that they're being burned by fire, right? This is not a metaphor for them. It means don't be surprised by the fiery trials. That'd be scary to say to one another. Don't be surprised by that, right? Don't, don't be surprised by that. That's real. But when you do this, you share in the suffering of Christ. I just want to make a clear, clarifying point. There are so many types of suffering. This is not speaking of the kind of suffering in your body that all of us will go through at some point. This is not speaking of the suffering that happens because the world is an evil place and people are just people. Like, you don't have to be a Christian to be fought, right? Like, there's fights everywhere. There's arguments everywhere. Just get on Facebook, like, at any point, ever. You're going to find a fight within, like, seven posts, and they'll all be your posts. Wait a second. Wait a second. This is me. This is weird. So, but don't confuse it with, like it says, like, don't, don't suffer as a murderer like, or an evildoer, right? Or a meddler. <laughs> like if you had to pick one of those out of a hat, I'm, I'll just, I'll be the meddler if you guys want to be the murderer. So can you bring that back up actually real quick? But we do this as Christians. We, 
we sometimes, because there's not a high value on living kind of a life that is passionately pursuing Jesus, we try and capitalize on selfishness, and sometimes we suffer for things that we have done, and we say that we're suffering wrongly, and that's just not the case. There's consequences to our decisions. If I decide that I want to steal from you, and you find out, and you press charges, you are by law allowed to do that. And the consequences for my decisions to steal from you are not because I'm going through some kind of trial, guys. Like, I'm just going through this trial. I stole all this money from the church. They found out, and I'm in jail now, but Jesus loves me. I'm going through a trial. That's not what this is about. This is, those things produce their own sufferings. He's saying, put that over here, right? Put that over here. Murderers. I, I can't relate this to any of you. I'm hoping none of you have murdered anyone. We'd be available to pray for you. Like, people are people, right? <laughs> Maybe take that off the podcast. I don't know. But don't confuse that with what's being said here. Suffering for Christ. The closest thing I can think of, again, is like, you're a businessman. We actually have a lot of business people here. And you're praying through how to lead your business, right? We have like a bunch of people start businesses. And you're figuring out how you're going to kind of get ahead. What's your bottom line going to be and and deciding, you know what, we're not doing this because I know this is wrong, and it's wrong because I know the scriptures tell me that this is the way I have to lead, and doing that and paying the price for not receiving, like, the multitude more of money you could for being a swindler. Like, does that make sense? Maybe that's the kind of persecution that, that we understand, but, but we don't truly get, like, dying. And I hope, I, I don't pray that in for you guys, but I wouldn't hate if you had to go through some of it because the testing purifies what's inside of you. The testing reveals things in you that you need. And it draws things to the surface. If, if you truly are beloved and you're tested, you'll know it. You'll know it. If you don't know whom's, whom's, whoses, whomses you are, when the testing comes, that's also a gift. Because he's showing you, you haven't believed that you're my beloved. And as you go through this, it's highlighting that you haven't. Dive into me. It's showing you. So testing does things for you. It labels what's in you. It comes to the surface. You'll know where you stand with God, right? I mean, we talk about, we talk about the different people through Scripture that saw significant persecution. Even Stephen in Acts 6, right? This is a, the first Christian martyr, right? We pull up Acts 6.15, and I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. but And he's about to lose his life. You guys raise your hand if you know the story of Stephen. So, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel about to die. He's also about to preach a good message. Like the kind of message you would preach if the Holy Spirit inspired it. Like the Holy Spirit giving you words in time. Something happened in his persecution that created in him the gift, like it says here, of the Holy Spirit's presence on you, on you. There's a story, I was listening to a, a preacher online that you've all heard of, I won't say his name, or her name. He talked about 10 years ago, there were 23 Korean missionaries that went to Afghanistan. You might have heard the story. And when they went to Afghanistan, they started to receive serious persecution, like this kind of persecution, where persecution still happens like that. And they started to behead them. Just, they would film it, behead one, just dead. 
And one of them actually made their way back to the States two years after this and talked about how they were in the setting. So what were the, what were the conversations like with the missionaries? I've always wondered that, like, because I'm just like watching, some, I can't even watch the videos of any of that, but just seeing something, I'm like, what, what do you, like, get up and run? Like, run in the woods as fast as you can? Like, what do you, what do you do if somebody, somebody's got you and they're like, I'm about to kill, I'm about to cut your head off. What do you, like you're, and they said that the conversations they had were things like, um, who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna go first? And people, this has literally happened in this group. First of all, there was a lady that was a missionary that had a Bible that they didn't know that she had, and she was ripping off pages of the Bible, passing a piece of the Bible to each person. She was like, whatever you just got, that's your word. Read it wherever you're at. A piece of paper from Scripture, right? And I just know that that was probably like the most anointed passage ever. It's like your perfect life passage. And then they said, some of the conversations they had is before some of the really serious stuff happened, the pastor, the pastor of the group said, I'm going to tell the leaders of the Taliban that if somebody's getting killed first, it has to be me. It has to be me. And then an elder in the group said, actually, pastor, because I'm the elder, I'm going to have to be killed first. And another person said, actually, we never officially did your eldership. <laughs> so if someone is going to be killed, it's going to have to be me. He was killed first. person comes back to the States and says to a community of people he's speaking in an event, does anybody else that went with me want to be back there right now? And they all said yes. They long for the kind of connection they have with their father in that setting more so than the kind of connection they have with their father in a setting of comfort. I don't say that to say I hope that comes right now to America, but I'm saying that to say if you find yourself in a season of testing at, at all, you are being gifted some of the best things you will ever receive. Do not run from it. Your father whom's Holy Spirit is with you, is walking with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. High tops, low tops. He is with you. Do not run. Do not let yourself go. He will provide an opportunity again. Just get it now. Get your lesson now. And if it's just humility, if it's just you're not the most important person, if it's just it's not just about your calling, if it's just... I have got to stop focusing on myself. Let it be that and move on. Take your lumps and know that your Savior, Jesus, loves you. And then the last part of this passage is the most interesting part to me because it talks about judgment and it talks about the judgment coming to the community. And this, is, this was the part that was by far the most troubling for me because we're reading about, well, we're just going to barely sneak by as Christians. How is the, like, that's just, and if you know Jesus, right? This is, what, this is why I think understanding Jesus as you read any text is important. You know that Jesus isn't walking around saying, none of y'all are going to barely make it, and none of you evildoers are making it for sure. So, like, you better figure it out. Like, get, get your stuff together. That's not the message of Jesus. Jesus is giving himself over to people in his holiness for the sake of others. So when I read this, I think of things like this, and this is truly where I think I've landed. Do not quote me theologically on this. If this is you, you're in this society, your family and friends are dying daily, and you're not questioning whether or not you're really for the Lord, because if you weren't for the Lord, you wouldn't be getting killed for it. You know that. Like, your belovedness, you're good. You know you're for the Lord because you're in danger every day. Your fight isn't a mental one in whether or not you're going to go to heaven, right, or receive the good life, our fight. Your fight is your life. So you're not worried about hearing a passage that says judgment is coming, which isn't actually the judgment of sin. This is not talking. Jesus did that. 
This is talking about how suffering comes as a judging purifier, and Christians are the first fruit. But I think this. I think if they hear this, they're like, this is where we are the most off, the most off in our theology. Confession and repentance is a gift to all of us. Confession and repentance is so beautiful to know that you can sit before a Savior and say, search my heart, please, O God, and if there be any wicked way in me, not so that I can jump back in line and refrain from bad stuff and stay holy, but so I can get aggressive with my holiness and share the love of Christ in such a way that people come to life, right? This is, judgment is good. And if you are being persecuted and killed, you would love to hear that judgment is coming because you want justice. You want justice. And if it's got to start with you, that's why it says first with the church. I do think this is a metaphor for us. God, first with me. Before you do anything, God, first with me. What is going on in here? What is going on in here? First with me. Do it first in me. Confession, repentance. The most beautiful times that I've ever had in my life with confession and repentance is when I found at least one person that I know that loves me unconditionally. And I sit before that person. A lot of times it's Sarah. She, for the most part, loves me unconditionally. (laughs) Marriage conference. But I know that when I share with her, I don't have to worry that I'm going to share something that's going to make me lose my belovedness. I just want to know, like, what, is there something in me that I can be, that can be purified? Is there something in me? Like Proverbs 12.1, probably, man, I, I think this is becoming one of my most favorite scriptures. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but who, he who hates repu- reproof is stupid. That's the best passage ever. He who hates reproof, and think about it like this. If your kids are jacked up and doing stuff, like you would only ever correct them out of a loving, trying to realign them into a place that they would experience beauty. If we don't want to be corrected, we are stupid. You don't want to be corrected by the wrong people, but when you know that you are the beloved, we should seek correction. What is it in me that can be cleansed? And all of us are in that seat. And I don't know how to make sense, how to live in a comfortable society. I do think we are in Egypt experiencing the luxuries of that kind of, a, that kind of a thing. We're definitely not in a desert. We all have some things that we enjoy. So what are the lessons? And I still think it's take the ground that we can take. Maybe you're not going to die for your faith, but, but how are you being aggressive with your holiness? How are you being aggressive? How are you taking Jesus to a... To a thing. How are you doing that? The sad thing is, I don't, think, I don't think it's really happening. We use promotional tools to get people to churches, and we use things like helicopter drops. Just imagine some of the things we see online and picture Jesus in the middle of it and be like, yeah, he wouldn't be there. We're trying to, we're trying to build comfortable groups, little subgroups, when Jesus is saying, no, I'm trying to create a group that will be aggressively holy, not in what they refrain from, but in what they give and go after a nation of comfort so that they can be saved. And it starts in us. What in us is so comfortable? And so this is my question to close. What do you love? You will suffer for what you love. As I said last week, many of us have an idol of family that we've just accepted as what you are as a Christian. Family first. Well, no, Jesus first. If if family's over, you're Jesus, that's sin. 
right? He is your kid's father. He is your father. Every good gift flows from him, even your kids, right? Like, anyway. All right, so we're going to close. <laughs> aggressive holiness, Holy Spirit with you, worst preaching ever. So aggressive holiness, Holy Spirit with you, commit yourself to God, all right? I'm just going to pray this over you. If you guys will, stand to your feet. This is one of those texts you have to wrestle with it and you have to wrestle with the scriptures with your father. But to be clear, he is asking for the whole entirety of your heart. And if there are things that you love more than him, he will lovingly realign you if you are open to him speaking into it. He does not want to harm you or hurt you. He wants to realign you to what truly matters. So with your eyes closed, Father, I pray a prayer of repentance for the first loves that do not need to be first loves. I ask for a repentance in our hearts that turns us back to saying, I know that you are good. I know that you love me. Here I am, take me. Father, I also pray a prayer of bravery, the kind of bravery that makes us sacrifice the comforts of this life for the sake of the gospel, where we come alive and we sense this closeness of the Spirit. Even some of you sense that closeness now. Take note. For those of us who need to be pushed into the place where we can live aggressive holiness and what we stand for, not stand against, show us how beloved we are right now. Show us how beloved each person outside these walls is in our lives, whether they are the opposite of what we think, they hate us, they hate you, they are beloved, they are created in your image, they actually look like you. They just don't know who they are yet. I speak identity into our city, the kind that breaks down walls, the kind that draws us close to you. So as we go today, one of the best gifts the body of Christ is to a community is speaking belovedness over one another. Speak it into somebody today. Share encouragement. Share how beloved someone is. We are Christ to the world. Father, we thank you that we get to carry the burden of the love you have for a, a people that may not know it yet. Help us to speak blessedness into each person we see in our lives. At baseball fields, at gyms, at job sites, in cars, at coffee houses. Help people to see they are the beloved children of God. And go with us this week, God. We want to go where you want to go. We want to be brave for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.